0: Working Class Audio is made possible by the support of Cali Audio, DistroKid, Sampley Audio, Audio Technica, Gearspace, and Grace Design.
1: This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 287.
0: Working Class Audio. Navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here is your host, Matt Boudreaux.
1: Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 287 you're listening to. My guest today is Ignacio Molino, better known as Nacho Molino to many people. Nacho is a multi-Grammy-nominated, multi-Grammy-winning engineer who's originally from Panama and is a new transplant to the United States. And we have a great conversation about working in Panama, working in the U.S., his immigration to the U.S., and all other things surrounding that. So, very excited to have him on. Nacho Molino coming up here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. All right, grab those coffee cups. What are we going to talk about? What are we going to talk about? Everybody's wondering. (sighs) Let's talk about Michael Jordan. What? This is an audio podcast. Why are we going to talk about Michael Jordan? Get your coffee cup, and I'll tell you why. was talking to my friend, former WCA guest, Kevin Ward, the other day. And we were talking about Michael Jordan and the documentary that's out on him. And we were talking about his career and the shots he had taken, the millions of shots, well, not millions, but thousands of shots he missed, and the game-winning shots. And what came out of that was the fact that you just got to keep taking shots. Now, I know, it's, it's a metaphor. I, you know where I'm going with this. But that's the thing, you know? Not everything you do is going to be award-winning or Grammy-winning or Tony Award-winning or, you know, whatever it is, or or Oscar-winning or I don't know what they give out for games or game sound. But anyways, I don't care what kind of audio discipline you're in, if you haven't had any successes that enable you to put trophies on your shelf, that's okay. Some of you don't even like the awards and some of you do. And if that's important to you, my recommendation to you is, is you just got to keep taking shots. Just like Michael Jordan. You've got to keep working and working and working and working. If you're not failing, you're not trying. I know we have to put this into perspective. Working on a record that doesn't get any recognition necessarily in the national spotlight is not necessarily a bad thing, right? I mean... How many bands have you all worked with or games that, or films that just don't really see the light of day because of various circumstances? I can tell you I've worked on tons of records that nobody knows about, nobody cares about. I've been fortunate to in my time working at Kfog in San Francisco as a as a freelance guy, I've gotten to record and mix some, you know, great uh, artists and bands that I really admire that all of you know about, but I've never been able to work on a record that has stood the test of time that all of you would know about. And I have mixed feelings about that, but at the same time, I still love audio. I still love working. And even if it never happens, I will keep doing it. I will keep doing audio because it's just, it's meaningful to me. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of you feel that way. Now, along the way, if something happens and, and I get some success, great. But if I don't, that's great too. That's fine. So, so back to the metaphor. You just gotta keep taking shots. If it's important to you, one way or the other, you're just gonna have to keep taking those shots. And eventually, you're gonna sink the ball in, so to speak, and uh, everybody's gonna cheer, and you'll have your moment in the sun and your trophy, and that's fine. But if that never happens to you, it's not the end of the world, and it doesn't mean your career is any less meaningful. So take it with a grain of salt. If it's important, keep going. If it's not important, keep going. Either way, just keep going. Keep taking those shots, because you never know what's going to happen. That's it. Basketball. Yeah. Bet you never thought I'd be talking about basketball on this show. Thanks for listening. That's it. Let's get to it. Nacho Molino, here on the Working Class Audio podcast. Nacho, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Matt. How are you? I'm good, man. I think I'm on my third coffee now, so I'm ready to fold paper bags. Oh, I'm I'm on my second one right now. Oh, you'll get there. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you're talking to me from Rochester?
0: Yes. Very close to Rochester. Actually, it's called Fairport. It's about 20 minutes away from Rochester. Okay. And did you grow up there? No, I grew up in Panama in Central America. Uh-huh. And I moved to the States last year, actually.
1: We'll get into that. I I definitely want to talk to you about Panama, but let's start with right now, with the present time. What are you doing?
0: What is your world centered around day-to-day? Well, right now, I'm mostly doing mixing, but I also do some production and recording if somebody needs it. So right now, I'm here in Rochester recording a whole album and producing it, too, with a rock band. It's coming out pretty nice. And... Is mixing your primary activity? Yeah. It's become my primary activity since a lot of people are recording at home or they have their own home studios, which are basically called home studios because there are, they are at their home, but they're actually very pro-equipped. So that's how it goes nowadays.
1: And the place that you mix at where you're at now, is that your home? Is it a building you rent? A building you own? What's, what's that status?
0: Well, right now, my mixing room is in Brooklyn, New York. I rent that room from a mastering engineer that works right next door to me. And I've been there for a year now. And it's, I mean, it's a very, very nice room. It's very well conditioned and everything. So mixes are coming out so incredible.
1: And the amount of work you have coming in justifies that rent. I know that sounds like a silly question, but
0: I have to ask. Yeah, well, you know how this is. Sometimes you have a lot of work and sometimes you have less work. So you always have to, you know, save up for the low, slow times. But yes, it, it's, I managed to keep my head out of the water.
1: That's good to hear.
0: Tell me about growing up in Panama. Well, Panama is a very small country. Right now, I think we are up to four million people there, population-wise. Mm-hmm. It has a lot of American influence since we had the American bases there all the way up to the year 2000, which was when all the military, the U.S. military, left and the Panama Canal became actually part of Panama itself because before it was administrated by the U.S. It's it's like a it's like a huge town. Like everybody knows everybody. So it's very easy going in a certain way, because, for example to get to get work to work as a recording engineer or a mixing engineer, you already know everybody, so you only have to say that you're doing it and actually be good at it, and you'll get clients right there. It's not very difficult to market yourself in it
1: and music scene
0: wise what's what's that like? Well, since the population is very small, you have You know, you have the traditional genre-based scenes, like you have metal or you have rock or you have salsa or whatever, but there are very small scenes. So as a recording engineer or producer or mixer, you have to to be good at everything people throw at you. Mm -hmm. If not, you're going to die out of hunger, you know?
1: So you can't really specialize. You can't You can't hyper-focus on one task. you got to be able to do a bunch of different things.
0: Yes, and you, you have to do them all the right way, or people will go to somebody else. How old were you in
1: 1989?
0: 1989, I was 8 years old.
1: You were 8. Do you have yeah. any memory of the Noriega years and the U.S. coming to get Noriega? Yeah,
0: I remember that. It was pretty scary, to tell you the truth. I remember I used to sleep on a bunk bed. And I used to sleep on the top bed. My brother would sleep on the bottom one. And every night I would get my parents telling me to just sleep on the floor because they didn't want any missing bullets coming through the window or anything. Wow. So that was was very scary, scary times. Why were bullets going to be coming through the the walls? Well, basically it kind of became like a civil war in a sense because you had the people that were actually supporting Noriega you, and you had the people that were against Noriega, so stuff would get pretty messed up at some point. And then the U.S. came in, and it got—I mean, in the end, it, they took Noriega and everything. But there was a point that where it was very, very dangerous. I remember, like that Christmas night, all the men from the building would do shifts to guard the building door at night with guns. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, it was it was very messed up.
1: Yeah, that must have been a, a tense time for you as a kid.
0: Yeah, you know, like going through Christmas and not getting like any presents or anything because all the stores were closed or being looted or whatever. Yeah, wow.
1: I can't even imagine. I can't fathom that at all. And so that's why I, I had to ask. I hope you're not offended by my question.
0: Not at all, man.
1: Well, so at what point in your life did audio present itself to, number one, catch your interest? And when did it get you to think, I could do this for a living?
0: Okay. As usual, I had a band. And we went into our first recording session, which was done by the drummers that that he bought and ate at. I remember it. we only had like eight tracks to record the whole band. It was a punk band. And I really liked the mixer and the microphone placement and all this stuff. So I, I, that really, really made me go like, oh man, this is so cool. And after that, I got a four track, a little Yamaha cassette four track and started recording stuff in my room. I would basically get like whatever microphone I could get a hold of and just put it in front of my guitar amplifier. And I would do the drums on my dad's keyboard with those very fake sounding drums. And it all started there, basically. So, yeah, when I graduated school, I already knew that I was going to go that way.
1: And what did you study when you say graduated from school? Are you talking about college? Are you talking about high school? or, or... High, school, high school. High school. Okay. And did you do any schooling for audio?
0: Yes, I did, quote unquote, go to college because it was actually a distance program. Mm -hmm. Because in Panama, we didn't have at the moment any colleges or universities teaching recording engineering. So I actually took mine from Chile. At that time, people were starting to do this distance courses through the emails and everything. So I sent the money and I just hoped that I wasn't going to get ripped off. (laughs) How much money are we talking about? It wasn't that much. Just probably... Six hundred for the first part, and then like a thousand for the second part, or something like that. Okay, which is doesn't seem like a lot of money, but for in in Panama we do use the dollar as a currency. Mm-hmm. But actually, like minimum wage is very very low. So talking about let's say five hundred dollars, it's more than what a person would do in a whole month at that time.
1: Got it. Did you know your current the current president Laurentino Cortizo? Yeah. He makes seven thousand dollars a month. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, in Panama, that's a that's a crap ton of money.
0: Yeah. Basically with seven grand, you can be the king of the hill.
1: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you need to survive at a core level at San Francisco.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also in, in a, Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah. In a studio apartment.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> Eating ramen. When did you decide to come to the U.S.? What made you decide to come to the U.S.?
0: Well, I always wanted to come to the U.S. because of the music market here. Mm -hmm. And luckily, my mother, she's a U.S. citizen. So I got all the paperwork done. But when she put the papers in, I was already over 21. It took about 15 years for the papers to get approved.
1: Okay. Let me wrap my head around that. (laughs) So your mom, who's a U.S. citizen, put in the paperwork for you, her son, to become a U.S. citizen. At the time, you were over 21, and it took 15 years? Yes. I don't even know what to say about that. That's that's not only absurd, but just,
0: oh, wow.
1: So what did you do in that 15 years, in that waiting time?
0: I basically worked my ass off. I got a job at a live sound company and then I started working in studios and then I finally opened mine. All the time, just working in audio and trying to survive. Learning every single thing that I could about every music genre, actually. Uh Just waiting for that to come up. And then in 15 years, there are so many things that happen. Like I got married, I had my first son. And then after five years, I got divorced. And three years later, I got married again. All of those things, since your marital status changes, it also changes the paperwork. So Uh. when you get married, then you're not single anymore. You're married. And when when you get divorced, then you're divorced, but you have a kid. And then when you get married, then you're married again. So it all just makes it take longer. It was supposed to take around 10 years, but actually took 15.
1: And because the marriage, divorce activity contributed to that delay. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Still 10 years. Come on. Yeah.
0: 10 years is a lot. If my mom had been able to submit my papers before I was 21, it supposedly takes around six months only to get everything done. Oh. But when you're over 21, then I don't know why, it just takes about 10 years. Mm-hmm.
1: So what's it like running a studio in Panama? And what city are we talking about?
0: It's Panama City. Okay. Yeah, the capital. Yeah. So it's very stressing (laughs) to tell you the truth because like I was telling you, the music scene is so small and, you know, nowadays with all the digital recording, everyone wants to record and everyone wants to be a producer and an engineer. So everybody has something in their house and they're Mm. offering services for very little money and they're recording from home. I mean, if that works for them money-wise, it's all good. But if you have to actually maintain a whole infrastructure, meaning control room, recording room, air conditioning, all the gear and everything, it makes it very complicated to just make the amount of money needed to actually make it work. But the interesting thing is learning how to work with several music styles, because one day you're doing salsa, next day you're doing metal and the next day you're doing jazz, and the next day you're doing cumbia, and the next day you're doing reggae, and then you go back to salsa. Every day is a different story, so it really doesn't get boring at all in that sense.
1: <laughs> Are there any problems with government bureaucracy getting in the way or anything like that?
0: No, not really, besides paying your taxes, which you have to do in any country in the world, and keeping like all the operation permits up to date, and all the regular stuff that you would have to do in any country. But one thing is that the electricity in Panama is very expensive. For example, in one of the studios that I had, which was the biggest one I had, the air conditioner wasn't running all day long or anything. It was probably running like 8 to 10 hours a day. And I had to pay a whole bunch of money, like, I don't know, like $500 a month or something. And I was only running my Pro Tools rig. It's not like I had an an SSL or anything running. Wow. Yeah. Do people do solar for businesses out there? Well, people are starting to do so. In the beginning, it was a little bit confusing because there were laws that were kind of like against it, but then they modified them. So people are starting to use solar now. And for
1: the listener, Panama, just in your head. So south of Panama is Colombia. North is like Costa Rica, Nicaragua, Honduras. So would you have influx of recording artists from all of Central America coming in?
0: Well, not recording, but mixing. Ah. Yeah. People would send their stuff on WeTransfer or Dropbox or any, any of those services. And yes, you'd be mixing stuff from all over Central America. And yeah, also one good thing is that since those countries are not too far away, if you have a band, you can always just go tour to all those other countries and then make like a partnership with another band. And for example, they take you to Costa Rica and you play a couple of shows there and then you take them to Panama and they play a couple of shows there because, Hmm. I mean, it's only an hour flight.
1: Oh, yeah, because, oh, yeah, Panama City in relation to San Jose, Costa Rica, that looks like a hell of a drive. So, yeah, an hour flight sounds great.
0: Yeah, I went to San Jose, Costa Rica in a bus several times. And it's like about 16 hours or so.
1: That's just too much. I think that all the driving in a van, touring in my 20s just burned me out on that.
0: Yeah, (laughs) I understand it.
1: (laughs) Okay, so you come to the U.S. Now, what's that like when you get notified that, hey, it's time. Your 15-year paperwork cycle is complete.
0: (laughs) Come on in. I mean, it was very exciting. I was very happy that I could finally come. At the time I had a a business partner that, you know how things happen in life that everything gets aligned for everything to happen. Yeah, My ex business partner is not from Panama, he's from Argentina Mm -hmm. and we're still very close friends. So at that time he was actually thinking about going back to Argentina because his parents are, they were getting older and everything. So he was actually thinking about leaving Panama and then I get my papers done and then that was like, okay, let's just go our separate ways and just close the business there. And my wife, she's from Colombia, and she she didn't know how to speak English at all. So that has been a very fun thing, teaching her how to speak English so that she can have her own life. Well, when we got here, it was February, and we went to my mom's house in Salem, Massachusetts. So it was snowing like crazy. And Panama is a very hot country.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, it doesn't really snow in Panama.
0: No, it's always like 95 to 100 or Uh something like that, like all year long. And it's very humid. So then you get here and it's like snowing. (laughs) And Uh, it's like, I don't know, like 20 something degrees or so. God, I hate snow. (laughs) I really enjoyed it. My daughter, she's four years old and she was out on the snow, like making snowballs and throwing them and having so much fun. So it was, it was pretty nice in that sense.
1: Yeah. Just tell her it's all fun and games until you have to drive through it.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah. Or that you have to shovel the snow to get the car out of the garage.
1: (laughs) There's some great places in this world to live that are just off my list because of snow. Yeah i can I can bet how did you find out that you were accepted to come into the country?
0: You know all these things have to be done through a lawyer, so basically our lodger she kept us up to date every now and then, and when the papers finally got approved, then you have to go to the u s embassy for an interview mm. to actually get the final approval, and so yeah, we were like nervous. As hell as you can imagine, because it's not the same as a tourist visa where you go there and you just show that you have a job in Panama and that you are not going to stay in the U.S. doing nothing, but you're basically coming to the U.S. to make a living. So they background check you all the time and they do all this research and whatever. And then you go to the interview and they ask you a whole bunch of things and whatever, but it all came out good. And we got our papers approved. And then we had to wait like I think like for a month or so to get the seal on the passport, which is basically like a temporary temporary green card. And then you come here to the US and then you go through migration. All those little steps are very nerve wracking because at any point they can just send you back. It doesn't matter if you are approved, the immigration officer could you just say like, okay, no, you cannot go in, so you go back. Or whatever. So when we finally got here, it was like, yay, let's party! Because it was such a long, long, long wait.
1: Well, so now, do you have official citizenship?
0: I have a legal residency, and also I can work. So it's not a citizenship, but it's a residency with work permit. And then I have to wait for I think five years or so, so that then I can apply for the for the citizenship.
1: Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Björg van Benediksen from Audio Issues, who's been a guest of mine and who's a friend of mine, he came from Iceland and I think he went through a similar process of waiting yeah. and eventually applying for citizenship. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, and how long has it been again? Tell me.
0: Yeah, it's, it's about a year and a half. About a year and a half, huh? Yes. Well, what do you think so far? Well, so far, I'm loving it. I've met so many new people so many great people that have been very welcoming. I mean, I know for you right now, like what the country is going through is very unusual. Oh yeah. To say the least. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But in Panama, that would be just complete normal. So like everything that's happening right now is basically the day to day in Panama. Like it's completely standard for me. I mean, I should pay more attention to it, but I haven't because it's, Basically, you know, normal. And I know it's at some point, it will go away and it will all come back to being like the normal US that it was before. So, yeah, I mean, it's been really great because, like I told you, I've met so many people and I've met so many engineers that I admire a lot. For example, right now I'm in your podcast, which I listen to all the time. And I've literally heard like every single episode of it. So you must be really tired of listening to my voice. Oh, no, man. <laughs> <laughs> like every single episode has its own thing and you always get something out of it. It's very interesting. Well,
1: I'm, thank you. That's great. I'm glad you, you feel that way. So check our friends out at DistroKid and make sure and get your 30% off by going to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30. About a year and a half ago, I signed up for Sampley.app. There's also Dropbox integration, which allows me to quickly create a folder in my Dropbox, which automatically syncs with Samply, makes it much more simple. You should check it out for yourself. Sampley.app. Check it out. Well, so you've got some Grammys under your belt. Yeah. And those happened prior to you coming here. Right. Did that have any impact on your getting in here?
0: No. According to the lawyer, that doesn't matter. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Maybe maybe if I was asking for like a work visa or an artist visa, then it would have an impact. But for a residence, it doesn't matter. Okay.
1: I had a previous guest on, and it coming from Australia to here, and her Grammy sealed the deal, I right. think, for, for the immigration person at the time. Wow. You've been here, and you're enjoying it. Now, what was your planning like? What was your decision-making process like to get yourself established, get a place to mix in? and Had
0: you been planning this for some time? Well, not really, because I didn't know when the papers were going to come up. For example, the mastering engineer that I rent the place from, we've been working for a long time, for about like eight years or so. So when I got my papers, I told him like, hey, man, I'm, I got my papers approved and everything. And at the same time, he was moving out from his old studio to a newer and bigger place. And he had a spare room, so he offered it to me. And I said yes, and then I asked how much. <laughs> <laughs> Have you found anything difficult along the way in getting settled? Well, I guess it's, it would be the same if I went to any other country, that you have to adapt to how things are done in mm. certain places, what the, the common rules are, and whatever. But it hasn't been that hard, because Panama has a lot of American influence, so I have had to change a couple of things, but not too much and just get used to like, for example, driving here is like very strict. In Panama, driving, dude, you you would go crazy. <laughs> you have to have like five eyes on each side of your head so that you don't get into a car crash.
1: <laughs> That's funny.
0: <laughs> yeah, here, everyone makes a stop. Everyone puts their directional lights on when they're on the highway or whatever in Panama, it's like you have to have a crystal ball to know what the guy in front of you is going to make.
1: I'm going to have to disagree with you there. I don't feel like everybody's using their turning indicators as they should be, at least where I live. And that's probably, if you ever find yourself in a car with me and I burst out in a tirade of F words, that's probably because the person in front of me is not putting their turning indicator on.
0: Well, I'm pretty sure there are, there are always exceptions, but like, the majority of people do at least.
1: Yeah. Compared to Panama.
0: Over there in Panama, you cannot actually use the, your turning lights because if you're going to change from a lane and you use that turning light, the guy that's coming behind you, he'll take your space. <laughs> so you just change lanes and that's it.
1: Got to keep them guessing.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: now that you're here and you've got a place to work and getting established, figuring out the lay of the land, what are you doing to promote yourself, to find work, to continue in the adventure that is audio?
0: Well, first of all, I've been trying to network, probably not as much as I should, but I've been trying to network with bands and artists and whatever. I luckily have my usual clients from before moving in, so I've been getting work from them. Even when this whole virus thing came up, I thought everything was going to go downhill. And fortunately, it hasn't. I've kept myself busy enough. Yeah, I mean, it's just a matter of getting onto the social networks and just talking to people and posting stuff whenever something gets released and whatever. And hopefully someone who likes your work will message you or something.
1: Yeah, or find you on LinkedIn like I did.
0: Yep. Yeah. <laughs>
1: obviously you didn't expect the coronavirus to be a part of your plan. So let's just look ahead in the future. Let's think vaccine. And let's say that we've got this under control and things open up a hundred percent. and Everybody's out and about. Will you continue to focus on mixing or will you try to get more recording work?
0: Well, whatever comes into the table. I enjoy recording and I enjoy producing as long as I know that I can actually deliver something good for the artist, as we all do. I do like mixing more than anything, but if I really like the music that I'm working on, I really enjoy producing and recording. So I really wouldn't care if I get recording work or mixing work. It's all good.
1: And the fact that you speak English and Spanish really gives you a leg up in terms of communicating and expanding your reach in terms of clients, I would assume.
0: Yeah, because then I'm I'm not only limited to a certain region or anything. I can just talk to anybody, basically.
1: And possibly expand getting clients from Mexico, for example. Not Not like people don't speak Spanish here, but that's a pretty big country and there's a lot of music happening.
0: Yeah, I just finished mixing a song for two twins that they're doing reggaeton music and they just released it and like the song is doing very well and everything. So yeah, I'm getting clients from basically everywhere. And it's it's funny because once people see that you are in one of these music mecca cities like New York or Los Angeles or Nashville, let's say, people from Latin America, think that you are this kind of superhero or very pro guy that they can send their music to mix or to be mastered or whatever. So it's basically, it helps a little bit in terms of a marketing strategy.
1: Huh? How do you structure your what you charge and do you change what you charge based on the region?
0: Well, certain countries use different currencies, like for mm-hmm. example, Argentina. So it's very, very difficult for them to actually pay a lot of money in dollars. So if you want to work with somebody from Argentina, you have to be careful of how much you're gonna charge because probably it's not that they don't wanna pay it, it's just that they cannot afford it, which is two different things. Same in any other country that doesn't use the dollar. You have to be very careful with the rates but lately I've been getting those rates closer and closer and closer to just one steady rate for everybody.
1: That's a balancing act like none other. So how do you focus in on what the right rate to charge is for any particular country?
0: Well, it, it's something that you kind of learn or start knowing about with years of experience. Uh huh. For example, my ex-business partner, he's from Argentina. So he he would tell me like, okay, that's, we have to charge this much because then they're not going to take the, the, the project or whatever. So figuring out Argentina was easier. Mexico, the rates there are very cheap, but for some reason, they don't have much issues paying like a regular rate for real, because I think they send a lot of stuff to be mixed and mastered outside of Mexico. So they're kind of like used to that. But for example, Costa Rica and Colombia, most of the time you have to be careful that you're not over, not, not overcharging because it's not like you're overcharging, but you're overcharging to their angle, to their point of view, you know? Right.
1: For that market, for that economy, for that, that ecosystem.
0: Yeah. So the interesting thing is like, it doesn't matter how much I charge, I always have to deliver a good product. So it's very difficult because you cannot say like, okay, if I mix a certain amount of songs a month, I'm going to be fine. It's never the same math every day.
1: I guess you can't really
0: advertise a rate when you're
1: dealing with a multitude of countries like that.
0: No, because then some people would think like you're ripping them off and other people would think like you're charging too little and they wouldn't take you seriously. So it's, you got to basically keep it to yourself and in between your clients.
1: Okay. And I guess there's no one single rate that works. You just got to look at the client, look at the country, look at the currency, and right. make, an, uh, make an assessment from there. Right. Okay. When you got the Grammys that you did, did your work change in terms of the amount of work that you got? Because you can say, I'm a Grammy-winning engineer. Does the word
0: Grammy in your eyes bring work? It opens doors for stuff to happen. It makes it easier for you to probably negotiate a project. Or if you come up with an idea, then people will open the door for you to have a meeting, easier than if you don't have a Grammy. But you still have to put the work in to get more work. It's not like a, it's not like the magic wand that you get a Grammy and then you get a whole bunch of people lined up for mixing or recording.
1: Are you actively involved in seeing that, like, you work on a record, There's a lot of different things that have to happen after a record is completed in order for it to be even heard by a Grammy committee. So are you actively involved in what happens to that record afterwards to see it through to make sure that it's heard, potentially nominated, etc.? Or do you just do your work and cross your fingers?
0: Every time I work on a record that I think it's worth submitting, I make sure that either the artist submits the record or I'll submit it myself. Depending if they are a member of the Academy or not, then if they are a member, they'll submit it by themselves. And if not, then I'll submit it.
1: And what about now? Now that you're in the U.S., will you involve yourself in the Academy here?
0: Yes. I started just before the coronavirus thing started. Because For the National Recording Academy, you need two recommendations. And then, well, the mastering engineer that works right next door to me gave me his, and I was going to ask somebody else. And then the whole thing blew up, and I didn't ask anybody else. Okay. Yeah, but I, I would like to get involved.
1: I've talked to a range of people who have varying opinions about the Recording Academy in general. And obviously, it's a part of your world. It's worked out well for you. Like I have some friends that have some very different views than those who participate in the Grammy process. So I'm curious about how you feel about it in general.
0: I wouldn't know what to say in the sense that I don't know if, for example, like people say like somebody's cheating or somebody's paying someone or whatever. I really don't know. And I couldn't point my finger to anything. Mm -hmm. So I basically don't know. I mean, there are things that happen, but how can you prove that something is happening?
1: Right, right.
0: So it's basically like, yeah, just let it be because then you're gonna start a conversation basically based in nothing because you cannot you don't have evidence of anything wrong happening below the table, you know?
1: Yeah, and I know people that not only those concepts of favoritism and cheating and payoffs, et cetera, et cetera, but also just the concept of album of the year or recording of the year or whatever. Whatever the award would be, I have friends that would, they're just not into that whole thing applying to something so subjective as music. So I hear both sides all the time.
0: Yeah, but for example, I'm i am a voting member for the Latin Academy. So when it's time to vote, you have so many options to vote for. So the right thing would be to actually sit down and listen to all the options, right? at least one song, at least. And I know many people don't, and they have a friend that is probably gonna get nominated if they get enough votes or whatever. I know that happens. It happens everywhere on every voting system, right? It's human nature, basically. The right thing would be just to listen to the whole thing if you can, and then submit your votes based on something that's valid. Other thing is that some people say that popularity doesn't count in the Grammys, which could be true if people did their homework of listening to everything, which is basically very difficult to do. For example, if let's say Adele gets submitted, how many people know Adele, right? So that name is just going to grab your attention right there. So you're going to go listen to Adele, but then if you see I don't know, John Doe, whatever. And you're like, oh, I've never heard this way. So your homework is to listen to the new Adele and to listen to the new John Doe and then make a decision based on reality. But I know some people just don't have the time or whatever, and they want to submit their vote, which is very irresponsible in my opinion. But I know there are people that just do that, or that they vote for their friends or all these sort of practices that are not correct. It's just like the U.S. Congress. <laughs> yeah, but it's, you know, it's the same. It's just, it happens on every voting system.
1: Yeah, you're right. Because basically, if it, like, just to go down that rabbit hole for a bit, there are people in the U.S. government and Congress that don't read bills when they come up they vote for their friends because you know. Oh, vote for me because I've got this is my bill. Oh, yeah, I'll vote for it. But they never read it, so it's out of laziness and just accepting that that's what it's going to be. And it's the same thing maybe in in the world of the Recording Academy. Is it? Yeah,
0: because I mean, it's not the academy that's who's the one to blame for. You know,
1: it's the members.
0: Yeah, it's the it's the members because members vote and the academy respects the vote and they put out the winner according to the votes. So, again, if people start talking and talking and talking, they mostly don't have any proper evidence or base to say something. Because even me right now saying what I'm saying, it's something that I've seen people do, but I don't have evidence of it. So it's not like I can just point my finger at anyone. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't blame either the academy or the president or anyone in the administrative part or anything. It's just the way it goes.
1: Yeah. I think the the lesson here is, is if you're going to be in the academy,
0: be a responsible academy member and do, right. do the right and, thing. And vote responsibly. The same as if you're going to vote for a president. You've got to know who you're voting for. Exactly.
1: I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> What about business and money and the art of recording? What have you learned? How do you, how do you handle yourself? What recommendations do you have to others when we're talking
0: about money and business in, in the world of recording? Music is the easiest way to rip somebody off. Hmm. It's the easiest. So just make sure that you either charge a deposit or you get paid up front. Or something. Because a lot of people just go like, oh, okay, I'll give you the, for example, a 50% deposit. And when they're finished recording, they don't have the other 50%. And there's no contract for that. Like, the music business is very informal sometimes. Because you're either recording your friend or somebody that you know from the music scene or whatever. And you don't want to make a situation stressful just because of money. And then so you don't pay enough attention to that part and then you don't get paid. And even though if you keep the project to yourself and not give the project to the client that hasn't paid you, you're not gaining anything by it. You already put your work in and your bills are going to come at the end of a month. Even if you keep their project there, they haven't paid you. So just make sure you either have a contract or that you get paid up front. It doesn't matter who it is. I mean, if it's a true friend, they'll sign the contract because they're your friends and they don't want to rip you off. If somebody doesn't want to sign a contract, then that's a clear red flag right there. And then you should probably not be doing any work with them.
1: Yeah, which can be tough sometimes because we see an artist with promise and we like the music and sometimes that can cloud our judgment about the business side of it.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's always good to get the business side of it out of the way as fast as you can in the sense that just talk about it, agree on whatever you have to agree, and then just get a contract or, I don't know, some sort of evidence that the person has to pay you or something and then get that out of the way and start thinking about the music. But also, I mean, for example, there are some times where I listen to a band that I like and then I go like, hey, what have you guys been doing? And are you recording any new material or whatever? I think it could be of some help for you or whatever. And then I will mix a song for them for free without any strings attached, and if they like it, they'll probably send me the next song to mix, but it would be a paid mix, not a free one.
1: Hmm, do you find it easier to do audio business when you're just mixing, as opposed to recording or producing? It seems to me it would be more simplistic, and it's just a simple, I'm gonna do this, therefore you pay me, and that's that.
0: The thing with mix- mixing is that unless you ask for a pre mix up front, you don't know what you're getting into.
1: What, what do you mean by that? A pre mix up front? You mean like a rough mix?
0: Yeah, like a rough mix. Yeah. Okay. Some people write to me either on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, and they haven't yet recorded the song and they're asking for rates and whatever. So at that point, you don't know what you're getting into because they can be recording at home and they can be phenomenal recordings. Or they could be recording at a really pro studio and have a crappy recording too. So it's it's a little bit tricky when it comes about mixing. And also when people ask you for a mixing job, it's probably because they're not happy with what another engineer did for them. Hmm. And that's mostly been my experience. Like. Not many people think about going to this studio to record and then send this off to mixing to let's say crystal or algae or something like that. Like it usually happens in the industry. If someone's independent, they'll probably got a quote from the studio that already includes mixing and mastering for that whole project, right? And sometimes they're not happy with the mix, and then they go out and search for somebody to make a better mix. But anyways, was it recorded properly or wasn't it <laughs> when you mix
1: and you're mixing from unknown sources you're you're kind of trying to navigate through all of this that we're talking about let's say that you finally get a client who's got the tracks are decent or even if they're not decent they're at least fixable what are the other challenges you deal with when mixing remotely for people
0: a huge challenge would be that a track is not salvageable and then you have to find a way to tell the client that they should re-record something. Hmm. And sometimes they don't take it the right way. <laughs> we as musicians are very easy to, to get hurt emotionally. <laughs> so I think it's a like a matter of explaining to them like, okay, it's it's not your fault. It wasn't that you didn't play the guitar good enough, but probably the microphone wasn't placed correctly. So I can't get rid of this mosquito sound that it has, stuff like that. So you have to find the way of telling them and then they're probably out of a budget so they cannot re-record it either. So it sometimes gets to a dead end and then you have to just deal with what you have and try to make the best out of it.
1: Something that is starting to creep up more and more on me that I'm having to address is clients who are failing to listen on a proper setup. Oh yeah. You know... You send the mix and then like the notes come back within like two hours and you're like, well, first of all, that was awful quick. And second, these notes are completely at odds with everything I'm hearing and digging a little deeper. I'm finding out, Oh, you only listened to it on your laptop and that was it. And you didn't take it around to the car stereo or a bigger stereo or some headphones. And that's something that I'm having to address currently and, and being proactive in asking people, what are you listening on? How are you listening?
0: Yeah, well, I, I get the same. For example, once I got like a revision note that said they couldn't hear the backing vocals, which were completely panned out to left and right. But the guy was listening on the cell phone speaker, which sums up to mono. So those sites just just get lost. And then it's like, how can you not listen to them? I can listen to them perfectly here in, the, in my room. And he's like, well, it, I don't know, but I can't listen to them in my cell phone. I'm like, on your cell phone, right. And then you you kind of like explain to them like, okay, your cell phone probably has one speaker. So you're basically listening to everything that's banned in the center, louder than the sides. And then they go like, oh, okay. And then they go to the car and listen to it and it's perfect. Or some people say like, hey, I can't hear the bass. And it's like, Ugh. you can't hear the bass. Where are you listening to? On my cell phone. Are you listening, to, like, with headphones or through the cell phone speaker? No, through the cell phone speaker. And then you go like, dude, that speaker cannot reproduce those frequencies. So you're not going to be able to hear the bass of your song or any song. At least wear some headphones or go to your car or, you know, use your home stereo or something. That's a frustrating thing,
1: I have to admit. There's a level of understanding of audio or just music in general that I think a lot of us just we take for granted. We assume that the client feels the same way we do or addresses things the same way we do. And it's a new world. I mean, with devices that don't re- reproduce low-end, like laptops and cell phones, et cetera, it's a whole lot to navigate. It's a whole level of education that we have to participate in that I don't think, you know, maybe the the challenges were a lot different when we were younger and not in this business,
0: but drives me nuts. Before people used to listen to stuff in their car, like either in their car or at their home stereo, because there were no cell phones that w- were able to reproduce music. And people had
1: invested in bigger speakers and...
0: Yeah. And they were u- usually better than the ones you buy today. Yeah. It's... It's a little bit of a tricky thing.
1: I have to admit, I do check mixes on my cell phone th- with the audio movers plug I'll just stream it out and pop it on and listen for a bit and go, Hmm. Oh, there's some things I've I'm learning here, but there's no low end, but it's
0: still fine. Yeah. But I mean, if, if, if you at least get the kind of like mid highs clear enough, it will, it will translate pretty good. Yeah. To the cell phone speaker. I mean, respecting the frequency range of the speaker, of course. But at least you'll be able to understand what the singer is singing or listen to the hi-hat or cymbals without cringing.
1: (laughs) Yeah, without it taking your head off. Yeah,
0: yeah, because, yeah, they they
1: can get pretty harsh. It's like a sword. Yes. Uh, Well-sharpened sword or knife. Yeah, we, we, we definitely have those challenges of the day of most people are listening on headphones. Yep. So, yeah, we're almost out of time. I, I did want to ask you, and, and if this is a sensitive area for you, we don't have to go into it, but you have a kid from a previous marriage. Yeah. Are they still in Panama or are they with you here in the U.S.?
0: No, they're here with me. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. And is there a lot of going back and forth to Panama?
0: No, actually, my son's mother, she lives in California. Oh. Yeah, so he's with her right now. So he's spending some time with his mom. And I have my daughter with me and my wife. So it's all good.
1: So you know where I'm going with this, the work-life balance thing. You've got a lot on your plate because you're recent to the, to the country. You're somewhat established now. You've got kind of a, a foundation going with the studio in Brooklyn. But
0: what's the work-life balance like at this moment? Luckily, my wife is very easygoing in that matter. When she met me, I was already deep into long days. So she's basically used to it. But anyways, I always try to make some time for her and for my daughter. Right now, for example, my studio, my room is in Brooklyn. But my wife, she's living at my mother's house in Massachusetts. Oh. Yeah. So I go back and forth between Brooklyn and Massachusetts at the moment.
1: Okay. And how are you doing? Are you taking the train or are you are you driving?
0: I usually just take a bus or something.
1: Okay. So Brooklyn and then where in Massachusetts? In Salem? Salem, yeah. Okay. Brooklyn is I'm just sorry, I'm just looking it up. Distance to Salem. It's two hundred miles. Holy crap. Yeah. That's two hundred and thirty three point eight miles to be exact. That's
0: <laughs> that's a bit of a that's a bit of a haul. So Yeah, well, I mean It's gonna get better since we moved into a new country. It's like starting from scratch again, basically. Mm -hmm. So we're both trying to be as patient as we can because living in Salem is very much more affordable than Brooklyn, for example. Mm -hmm. So right now I'm just being able to afford the studio and a room where I sleep in. Because I mean, since I have a daughter, Uh I wouldn't want to share an apartment and apartments there are kind of very expensive for me at the moment. So right now at the moment, I can't afford to like have an apartment in Brooklyn plus the studio. So I'm just working myself up again. (laughs) Okay. Allow me to play devil's
1: advocate and and ask you some questions about that in your decision making about like, why did you feel the need that? So you're based in Salem. Your wife and your daughter are currently in Salem. Your mom's in Salem. Is it necessary for you to be in Brooklyn to work? Can you not set up shop in Salem
0: and still get the same amount of work? The thing about being in Brooklyn is that you are surrounded by musicians all over. Okay. So it's way easier to get work, like way, way easier. And since I've only been there for almost a year, It's still going to take time for me to know enough people that want to work with me to make a steady income stream to actually afford an apartment, Mm -hmm. but it will happen soon. I mean, again, before the virus thing, everything was going just perfect. Like, let's say if nothing happened with the virus, probably at the end of this year, I could be affording an apartment. Okay. So everything was going perfectly. It's just that, well, now we have to wait a little bit more and that's it. Like I'm telling you, I'm starting over again. It it doesn't matter if I have my Grammys or whatever. Now I am in another country where I don't know anybody and nobody nobody knows me either.
1: Well, now they're going to know you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much, man. So, yeah, I mean, it's just a matter of time and a little bit of sacrifice. And sometimes, you know, you get desperate. And you're like, oh, man, I want to be with my family, of course. But then you think in the long run, if you make the sacrifice now, then you won't have to be sacrificing yourself as much in the future.
1: Yeah. Do you travel a lot? I mean, how often do you go back and forth between Salem and Brooklyn?
0: Maybe every two or three weeks. I mean, I spend two or three weeks in Brooklyn, and then I go and spend a week in Salem, and then I go back. But yeah, I mean... Right now, well, since everything got really messed up in New York, I went to Massachusetts and I was working from basically my bedroom, using a lot of the in-ears to mix because the bedroom is not very proper for mixing. And now I'm here in Rochester working with this band and business hasn't stopped. So yes, I could probably just go to Massachusetts and forget about New York in the sense of the being in the music mecca. Mm -hmm. But I think it's important because there are so many many musicians there and so many people that I want to know because they're either my heroes from my whole life, be it an engineer or a musician. And there are so many studios there that, you know, you only see them in magazines or whatever. And now you're there in that same city and you could probably book a session in there. Yeah. Record. I know it's just it this is very like it's this is very much like a little kid talking, like making my dreams come through and everything. But if you put yourself in another country where you can only see people either on TV or YouTube or just listening to them on a podcast, but you know that you're never gonna be able to meet them in person and suddenly you are in the same city as them, then why not just give it a try?
1: Right. Well, it sounds like you, you're working hard and you have a plan here, and I wish you the best of luck, and at some point, we'll meet in person when all this clears up and we find ourselves at a trade show together, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, 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 definitely. Final question. Yes. Where does the name Nacho come from? Nacho. Okay, that would be the diminutive of Ignacio. Ignacio, I think it's Italian. It's basically, if you get the last syllables, Nacho. And you put it like Nacho. I got it. So that that's where it comes from.
1: Awesome. Nacho, It's it's been a pleasure talking to you. And wow, what an adventure. All the way from Panama to Brooklyn. Man, I, I just, I wish you the best of luck. I will be following you from here on out for
0: sure. Thank you very much, Matt. And thank you very much for inviting me to your podcast. Like, I uh. really, really appreciate it.
1: Well, I appreciate the time you've taken to speak with me. I know that you've got things to do and, and mixes to make or mixes to mix, but I appreciate it. Well, all right. Will you take care. You too. Nacho Molino here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Thanks so much for being here with me today. I want to thank everybody that helped out with the show, including Anne-Marie Plo on editing, Cliff Truesdale on the Working Class Audio theme music, and the magic voice of Mr. Chuck Smith there. Then connect on social media. Connect on LinkedIn, follow us on Instagram, tell all your friends. And until next time, take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear